Thank you, Callie. I'm pretty sure if I ever ask her to read again, she's going to say no because she got to say all those fun Old Testament names. But you did great. Thank you. Um, So she read from Matthew, but if you will actually flip back in your Bible 31 books and a thousand years earlier to the story of Ruth, and that is where we're going to camp out tonight. Um, Ruth is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, uh, You may have heard it growing up or you may know like bits and pieces of it, but um, we are going to spend some time there tonight really looking at um, just redemption and, and what that looks like in Ruth and why that matters for us today. Um, we are not going to read the whole story, but it, it's only four chapters. So I would just encourage you this week, if you have a chance to read it, um, there's a lot of little like nuances and details in it that are really um, just kind of incredible and a reminder that God cares about the details of our lives. So take a minute and read that if you get um, a chance this week. But tonight, we're just going to jump right in. Um, There's a lot going on in Ruth, and I want us to kind of go through the story, and we'll pull out some key passages, and I'll try and sort of fill in some of the gaps along the way, and we're really going to see what we can glean from this book. So turn with me. If you're in Ruth, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So right away, this is a thousand years before Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem, and another story was taking place in that same city. Um, Bethlehem, it literally means the land of bread, the house of bread, Um, but it tells us here that they were in a season of famine. So the time in Israel, the time when the judges ruled, is what it tells us in verse 1. This was not a great time. Um, The Israelites, they had turned away from God. Um, If you flip over probably like one page in your Bible to the very last chapter of Judges, um, it tells us there that this 400-year period of time was a time when the people of Israel didn't want a king. They had no king. And it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. So everyone kind of just decided, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. They had turned away from God. And as a result, God had taken his favor away from his children and away from the promised land. Um, He warned them very clearly that if they didn't follow him, that that would happen. And that's what's happened. So for about 400 years, while the judges ruled, things are not looking so good. Um, So we come to Ruth, chapter 1, verse 2. We meet Elimelech. It tells us um, the man's name was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. So in the beginning, we're meeting Elimelech. He is going to be um, kind of a central character here in the beginning. And his name literally means, my God is king. But we'll see in his life that he doesn't really live that way. Um, His wife, Naomi, whose name means pleasant, actually doesn't have such a pleasant life. And so as the story goes on, their names sort of don't pan out the way that that you would think they would. And they have these two sons, Malon and Chilion, which literally mean unhealthy and puny. Can you imagine like naming your little boy puny? I think that's hilarious. Okay, so they have these two sons. They have left Israel. So that was mistake number one. They decided, you know what? There's this famine going on. We are just going to take matters into our own hands. We're going to come over here to Moab, um, which was a pagan foreign land. It was probably about the distance um, from here to Charlotte, North Carolina, another pagan land. So um, so there's that. So they go to, to, to Moab, um, and they, they literally are traveling back into the wilderness. They decide they don't want to wait and see if God can take care of them in this famine, um, they're going to they're gonna see what they can do for their, on their own, on their own time. So they get there. Malon and Chilion marry two pagan women. 
Ruth and Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah. So Ruth is um, obviously the, what the book is named after, and Orpah is the other um, son's wife. And this was mistake number two. Earlier in Deuteronomy, when God had given the Israelites the law, he specifically told them that they were not to intermarry with anyone who didn't worship Yahweh God. And so Moab, being a foreign country, um, they don't believe in God. They worship foreign gods. They've created idols for themselves. And these women, Ruth and Orpah, would have worshipped those idols. So Malon and Chilion, taking them as their wives, is is a deliberate disobedience to what God said um, that they were to do. And God was very clear in the law, again, that if that happened, he, he would take his hand away from them. Um, so we're going to see kind of the consequences that come of that. But I want to stop right there, two verses in, and I want us to, to notice that the story goes on. <laughs> right here in these first two verses, they've deliberately left God. They have willfully wandered into the wilderness, right? They have, tur- they have turned from God. They have chosen to, to go their own way. And not just for a little bit, but for 10 years, we'll see here in just a second, that they stay married to those women and they live in that land in Moab for 10 years. And so the first truth that we get to glean from this book, from the story of Ruth, is right here in the very beginning, um, that when we willfully wander into the wilderness, we're never too far to come back to God. Um, I, I, I say that because the family um, story, like if we ended it right there, it would have been a pretty terrible story. The, the people chose not to worship God, the end. Um, but God redeems what's about to happen, and the story goes on. So even at the very beginning here, we have some, some hope. I think it's easy for us to, um, to believe that God can redeem situations that happen to us. Maybe you get sick, or maybe someone in your family passes away, or you don't get into the college that you want. And those are things that happen to us that we didn't choose. And so we think, okay, God can redeem this. He can, he can work through this. But sometimes I'm not sure we believe that God can redeem situations we bring on ourselves. Um, and I'm not at all in, encouraging you to go out and to sin. That would be against the word of God. And, and that's, that is not at all what his, his word tells us to do. Um, but I want to just say, if you are here tonight and if you have willfully wandered into the wilderness, if you are in sin today, if you sinned before you came here, we've all sinned. But if you're in this habitual sin or this place of wilderness, you're never too far gone to come back and repent and come to the Lord. Um, no sin is too bad for him to forgive when we repent and we say, Lord, we need you, like we just sang. Um, so I say that tonight before we even go on. If you are there, listen, because there is hope in the story to come. Um, so soon after we see Naomi is kind of becoming the central character, Elimelech dies pretty much right away when they get to Moab. So Naomi is now a widow with her two sons and these two foreign daughters-in-law. They live there for 10 more years, and then the sons die also. We don't know how, but Malon and Chilion die. Elimelech died 10 years before. And so now it's just Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. Naomi is literally in the worst situation she could be in. She's a widow. She has no land, no children, no inheritance left because she can't. She, a woman in that day without a husband was, was basically the lowest um, possible scenario. And so we find Ruth in a pretty desperate place. And so what happens next is Ruth um, taking a stand and doing something actually good for the first time. Um, Naomi hears that back in Bethlehem, things were going good. They were, they were doing well. There was um, a harvest that was about to take place. So Naomi tells Ruth and Orpah, I'm going back. I'm going back to my God. I'm going back to my land. I'm going back to my people. And she says to them, look, you guys stay here. You don't have to come. You're young. You can get remarried. Stay here in Moab with your people. But I'm going back to Yahweh God. 
And they cry and they are sad and they say, no, Naomi, like we, we want to come with you. You think they've just lived 10 years of their lives with her as basically a mother figure in their life. And so they don't want to see her go. They say, no, Naomi, we're going to come too. And Naomi insists. She says, guys, if you come, and even if I were to get remarried, have more children, you wouldn't wait until they grew up to marry them again. You would, you need to get married now. You're young. You can get married. You can still have children. You can, you still have hope. Basically, she's saying, I don't have hope. My life is bitter. So I'm going back, but you guys stay here. Try again. So the, the second kind of truth that we see comes out of Naomi's response Because right here, Naomi does something really good. We've seen this sort of disobedience for 10 years, but she gets to the lowest of low. She is, she's literally as humble as can be. And we see that repentance is synonymous with humility and with trust. Naomi had to repent and she had to be humble to do what she was about to do. She was going back to Bethlehem. It would have been probably embarrassing to go back to the place where she left in this lowly state that she was in. She's having to admit that she was wrong to leave. She's having to go back and depend on other people. She really has not much hope. Um, and to do this, to repent and to be humble um, was, was a good thing. And later in the story, we find out that she changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. Um, but she was not bitter at God. God. She recognized and was realistic that her life was bitter and she had bitter circumstances. But the fact that she would go back and say, I want to go be with my God um, indicates that she was trusting him to provide better than what she had. Um, So we see like she didn't get jealous and say, oh, those people have it better than me. I'm just going to stay here and pout. She didn't get mad at God and say, look, how could you do this to me? Forget you. Um, She says, okay, it's time. I'm going back. I trust him. And here we go. So the daughters respond differently. Orpah, after the second time Naomi says, you stay, Orpah's like, okay, cool, I'm staying. And she goes back to Moab, stays there for good. But what happens next with Ruth is beautiful. Um, Ruth, this verse, 116, you've probably heard before. And a lot of times it gets quoted like at weddings and it's this kind of romance of like, you say this to your spouse, but that's not what's happening. Um, Ruth actually says this to Naomi, her mother-in-law, probably the least romantic relationship ever. And what Ruth's name means is literally covenant um, companion and faithful. And so what we see here is example of that. She is being a companion to Naomi. She's being faithful and she's um, really kind of stating a covenant between God and with Naomi. So if, you're, if you come down a few verses to Ruth 1, 16, Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. So this is incredible because Remember, Ruth is, she doesn't believe in God. She has worshiped foreign gods her entire life. She's lived with Naomi for all this time, but this is the first time we see her say, I want to worship Yahweh. I want to go where you go. And so this is our third truth we get to glean. It's that when we live in faithfulness, we can draw others to our faithful God. That's exactly what happened here. See, for those 10 years of living together, Ruth never converted. Ruth never decided to follow God that they said they believed in. But that's because they probably weren't really living in belief. It wasn't until Naomi takes a stand and says, I still believe I'm going back. My God is good and he can offer us hope. That Ruth is drawn to that and she says, yes, I want that. I want to come and be in relationship with your faithful God. 
So Ruth forsakes everything she knows and she returns with Naomi. We see this faithful companionship and a commitment and a covenant to God and to Naomi. So they go back, they end up in Bethlehem. And at the end of chapter one, we find them there in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest, which was no accident. Um, Remember they left in famine and now they're coming back at the beginning of harvest. So in chapter two, we meet Boaz and you've probably heard of Boaz. He's kind of like the Prince Charming of the Old Testament. Literally, he's awesome. He is a relative of Naomi. Um, He is a hard worker. He is kind to his employees. He is faithful to Ruth. He is um, really has no flaws that we see in scripture. Obviously he was a fallen man, um, but the portrayal of him is very positive throughout this book. And so we'll see here, and I want you to kind of listen with this lens that he really is going to point to Christ. Um, This idea of redemption kind of starts here with their return to Bethlehem and their meeting of Boaz. So they get back, Naomi explains where she's been, and pretty much right away, we see Ruth take initiative and go seek out and go decide to work hard. She wants to provide for her now mother-in-law that is a widow, and um, she decides she's going to do her part. So in Ruth 2.2, she says to Naomi, Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So gleaning, I've said that a few times tonight, but gleaning essentially was coming along behind the people who had harvested all the wheat and picking up what was left. So in the Old Testament law, there was a provision for a widow or the orphan um, that the the people who harvested were to leave some grain for them. It was a provision to say God was going to take care of them through these harvesters sort of leaving that behind. So Ruth technically has a right to these crops that she wants to go glean. Um, But if you notice, she goes humbly. She says, let me go find favor. Um, We see later in the story that she shows up at Boaz's field and she actually asks permission before she starts to harvest. She goes to the the worker and says, can I come and and look in your field for for grain? So she is out, she's working, she's worked a hard, long day. And we see here in Ruth 2, um, Boaz takes notice of Ruth. So if you flip down to um, Ruth 2, verse 8, we're going to read a a little chunk here that is um, so full of hope. And these are some of my favorite verses in the whole book. Ruth 2, 8, it tells us, Boaz comes and says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one. Keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and you came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am even not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over love that line. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. 
So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That would have been about five gallons. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Okay, so... This chunk of scripture is awesome. Boaz, sure enough, he sees Ruth. He notices her. Um, he was generous to her. He goes over to his workers and he says, hey, who's that woman? Um, but if you look in, in this whole book, we never see a physical description of Ruth. So we don't know what Ruth looked like. We, we, don't, we can't assume that she was just beautiful and that's what Boaz noticed. And let's think about it. If she'd been working out in the field all day long, she probably looked about like we all looked on move-in day. Like she was probably disgusting and sweaty and hot and like... She'd been working hard. She was doing hard work. Um, But Boaz, for whatever reason, notices her. And so he, he speaks directly to her, which was really impressive of him, for her to be a woman, a foreigner, a widow. And he promises her these four things if she stays in this field. He promises companionship. He says, come, find friendship among these other women that are gathering here. He promises her protection. He says, look, I've told my men not to touch you. You're safe. You can stay put and no, you don't have to worry about being assaulted or attacked. He promises her refreshment. He tells her, look, these men have drawn water. You didn't deserve it, but you can go over there and drink from it. And he gives her provision. He gives her plenty, even more than she needed. She was satisfied and then had some left over. So she could go and out of that provision, provide for Naomi. So we see this like beautiful kind of offer that Boaz makes to her. This is like best case scenario for Ruth to show up in this man's field. Um, And it's no coincidence that this happens. Um, Boaz is essentially validating her and saying, look, I will take care of you. Stay with me. You're safe here. And Ruth's response is, again, so humble. Remember, she did have a right to, to the grain, but she doesn't say, finally, like someone noticed all that I've done. I deserve this. Thank goodness. No, she bows down. She falls to the ground, bows before him, and thanks him. And she says, who am I that you would even notice me? I'm a foreigner. I'm a widow. I'm a woman. She had all the odds stacked against her. Um, and, and this is the next truth that we glean from Ruth. Essentially, the way Ruth responds to Boaz and that is exactly how we are to respond to God in his provision to us. God's provision is never something that we um, demand or that we have earned on our own. Um, We don't get to just expect it on our own terms. Anything that we're given by God is grace. And Ruth knew that. Ruth knew that the way that Boaz provided for her was grace. She, She responds humbly. She responds in reverence. She literally falls on her face. And that's the perfect example. We are, we are to humble ourselves before God. We are to praise him that he would see us and notice us. Who are we that he would even take notice of us? So Ruth goes home and she tells Naomi everything. And I can imagine they were so excited. And Naomi says, Boaz, you are in Boaz's field. He is our kinsman redeemer. And Ruth's probably like, what on earth is that? You Israelites are weird. Um, But she explains that traditionally in that day, when a man died, um, it was tradition that his next of kin would literally redeem the land and the woman or the children or whoever was left after that man had died. So like if, if Ethan dies... 
traditionally when I'm in Israel thousands of years ago. His brother Blake or whoever was next in line as a relative was supposed to buy me as his wife and all of the land. And if we had kids, so he would take Lainey. Lainey would come with us too. So he would literally redeem us. And that was the way that the family name could go on. That was the way that the the land would stay in their family. Um, If like say I had been sold into slavery as a woman, he would have to go and redeem and buy me back from slavery. So the kinsman redeemer, this was a, a very important role. And essentially what Naomi saying is, look, Boaz, he's in our family. He is a redeemer um, and he could actually rescue us. He could, he could save us. So there's a lot of hope right here that's built up in Ruth's heart. She's just had this incredible experience with him. And then now she finds out that he could be the one that could redeem her life. So the next thing that Naomi tells Ruth to do is a little bit weird. If you turn to um, Ruth chapter three, Naomi explains and, and tells her about the kinsman redeemer stuff. And then she says this, Naomi, her mother-in-law said, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. She replied, all that you say, I will do. Now let's be clear, ladies, please don't go break into Blazer or Smith tonight and uncover the feet of the man you want to marry. Please do not do that. That is not what we are to take from here. You might get kicked out of school or like kicked in the face. I don't know. But culturally, um, what's happening here, this would have been seen as an act of submission. It was bold, but it wouldn't have been um, unheard of. Um, See, the reason that Boaz was even there. He had just harvested all of this wheat and they're at the threshing floor, which is the place where the bad gets separated from the good. So all of his livelihood, all of his crop would have been there like left. And we heard at the beginning that Israel wasn't doing so hot. They were kind of all doing their own thing. So he was sleeping near it to protect it. He was close by to, to make sure that no one came and tried to steal it or set it on fire or do anything crazy. And so Naomi tells Ruth, look, get cleaned up, get anointed, get your hair did. She's looking good and go to the threshing floor where Ruth, where um, Boaz is going to be sleeping. So I love this next part. She tells him, wait until he's eaten. We all know that if you're going to ask your dad for the keys to the car, you wait until after dinner. And that's like what she's saying here. She's saying, wait till he's happy. He's going to be, eat, he's going to have eaten and drink wine. He's going to, he's going to be merry. He's going to lay down. So she tells him, go lay down at her feet. Tells Ruth, go lay down at Boaz's feet. This also sounds weird, but okay. She's not, keep in mind, laying at his feet is different from laying beside him. This wasn't like scandal. Um, Honestly, in that day, this would have been a very submissive posture. Um, A servant in that day or or slave would have slept at the master's feet as a way to be ready for anything the master needed. So for Ruth to go lay at his feet was saying like, I am your servant, I'm submissive. And then the whole thing with uncovering his feet also sounds weird. Um, But in Jewish culture, I love this image. Um, The man, when he takes his bride, would literally take his cloak and cover her. And it was supposed to be this physical image of protection and of covering. Um, Earlier, when Boaz was talking to Ruth, when she was in the field, he mentioned that God's wings would be spread over her. It's the same idea, this idea of protection and covering. So when Ruth goes and uncovers his feet, it's kind of like initiating and saying, almost like a marriage proposal of, look, I'm willing, I will be your servant. And if you will take me as your wife, like that is what I want you to do. I want you to redeem me. Um, So it was bold, but it was not inappropriate. It sounds weird to us, but this was actually a very bold move. 
Um, and the next kind of truth that we glean from this is that obedience at times can be bold and a little bit scary. Um, but when we submit and trust God, he will take care of the outcome. That's exactly what we see next. This was a risk for Ruth. Naomi literally told her, wait and see what Boaz tells you to do. She didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know how it was going to go. She didn't know. I mean, I'm sure she hoped that whatever happened would be good, but she didn't know. She was taking a risk, but she trusted God. So she went, she does what Naomi tells her to do. And then what happens next is God's provision. In Ruth 3, 18, um, he turns over at midnight and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Surprise. And he says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Here, she repeats the exact same thing that he prayed for her earlier. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now it's true, I am a redeemer, but there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So literally Boaz responds as good as we could have hoped. Um, He was humbled because... Apparently he was a much older man than Ruth. And so for Ruth to come to him and say, look, I choose you. This was a humbling thing. And he was thankful. He, he wanted to take Ruth as his wife. And this is kind of a sign that we start to see that he did love Ruth. He had affection for Ruth and he wanted her to be his wife. Um, she had spent time in his fields leaning. He had gotten to see what her, her character was like and vice versa. She knew that he was a good man. Um, but he also has a little bit of bad news. He says, look, someone's actually closer in line that could redeem you. And rightfully, like, he gets to, to say if he wants to. So don't worry. I'll take care of it. Um, so now we, we kind of wait. Ruth goes home in the morning before anyone sees her so she doesn't have to be embarrassed, which again reminds us that Boaz was a man of really great character. And she goes and she explains to Naomi what's happened. And I love the way Naomi responds. In Ruth 3.18, Naomi's response is very insightful. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And this is just huge evidence of growth in Naomi. If you remember in chapter 1, when things weren't going her way, she left God. She was like, forget this, I'm going to do my own thing. But here, she tells, Na- she tells Ruth, sit just wait. Simply sit still, wait, rest, and trust. Boaz would be working on her behalf while she sat still. And I love that because so often in our life, we find ourselves in that situation just waiting. And we, we don't see what's happening. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but we have to trust that Jesus is working on our behalf. And that's exactly what happens here in Ruth. Waiting is an action. Waiting is a choice that we make to sit and to trust. It's not something that we just hurry through and get past. If you're in a season of waiting right now, I know a lot of times we think life's not really happening until I'm in the next phase. If I could just get through this waiting period, then everything would be all right. But Ruth demonstrates obedience here. She trusts God in the waiting and she sat still long enough for Boaz to handle the situation. So Boaz goes in chapter four to the city gate and the story starts to sort of come to an end. Um, Boaz goes, he gathers men that would be witnesses and he waits for the nearer kinsmen to come by. 
Now, something I love about this story is that the nearer kinsman, the man that was closer, is never called by name. The word that translates to his name literally means so-and-so. So it's like saying, oh, that guy, so-and-so. And so he comes by, and Boaz sees him, and he calls him over. And what Boaz does is a little bit interesting. Boaz says, look, um, Elimelech, he died, and he has all this land that you could have if you want it. And you also get his widow, Naomi, who's like pretty old. And will you redeem that? And the guy's like, yeah, I'll redeem it. And so we panic because we're like, oh no, he wasn't supposed to say yes, but it's okay. Boaz had a plan. He always had a plan. And he says, okay, well, also you acquire Ruth, the, the widow of Malon. And she is younger and she's probably going to want to have kids. Um, and, and the kinsman's like, whoa, like, I can't, I can't do that. That would risk my inheritance. Like if I have to have kids with Ruth, then that's going to jeopardize my son's inheritance. And my wife's probably not going to be super happy when I bring home Ruth on the other side. So he's like, no, I I can't do that. And so they swap sandals, which is weird, but that's like how they culturally agreed. And they say, okay, good. Boaz agrees. You say you don't want her. Perfect. I will redeem their land. And so we come to this sort of last conclusion that To take a risk in obedience is always better than to have to repent from disobedience later. Um, We see this about about Boaz. He was righteous. He was faithful to do things right by God. He he went to the man. He didn't just take Ruth as his wife and say, whatever, sorry, you missed out. But he did the right thing. And there was a risk because that man might have said yes. And he might have redeemed Ruth and Naomi. And then Boaz might not have gotten to be with Ruth. But he was faithful. He trusted God. He took a bold risk in obedience. And God works it out. We see the end of chapter four is kind of like a fairy tale. We talked about him being Prince Charming, but it's literally, it all works out. Ruth and Boaz get married. Um, They are blessed to conceive and have a son. They have this child who Naomi gets to take care of, her grandson. And all of this beautiful redemption comes into their lives. And if the story ended there, it would be great. It would be a beautiful story. We would see redemption. We could have a happy ending. Um, But the best part is the end of chapter four, because there's hope for you and for me and for all of us. See, in Ruth 4.17, it tells us the women of the neighborhood gave the child a name, saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David. Do you know who else came from the line of David? Oh, just Jesus, the Messiah. Um, Mary and Joseph would return to to Bethlehem that first Christmas a thousand years later because Ruth returned to Bethlehem in her faithfulness. Um, This idea of redemption starts to play out because Jesus would come from this family tree and he would redeem you and he would redeem me. That rhymed. (laughs) Ruth's faithfulness was was a, a small part in the story that she would never even get to see play out, but it had this amazing impact. Because see, what, Bo- what Boaz demonstrated by overlooking Ruth's faults, um, he saw her with love and mercy, that was just a small foreshadowing of what was to come for you and me. You and I, we get Jesus. He is the, the true and the better Boaz. Everything that Boaz did, Jesus did more for us. See, the kinsman redeemer had to be a family member. And Jesus came to be human so that he could be a family member and redeem us as brothers and sisters of God. The kinsman redeemer had the duty of buying family members out of slavery. And ultimately, Jesus buys us out of slavery from our sin. The kinsman redeemer had to buy back land that had been forfeited, forfeited when the man was, was, had died. Um, and Jesus will, will come one day and redeem the earth that we have sold to our enemy. 
Boaz wasn't motivated out of self-interest as the kinsman redeemer, but out of his love for Ruth. And the scripture tells us over and over again that Jesus was motivated out of his love for you and for me. Um, Boaz had a plan to redeem Ruth unto himself, and it was kind of crazy. And you could say the same thing. A lot of people think that the cross was crazy, but Jesus had a plan, and it worked, and it was glorious. Boaz took Ruth to be his bride, and Christ takes us as his bride, the church. He's the ultimate bridegroom forever and gives us this eternity of joy and companionship. Boaz was able to provide a glorious future for Ruth that she could never have earned for herself. And you and I have that opportunity through Christ too, to have a beautiful inheritance. So tonight, as we get to celebrate this idea of redemption and this beautiful story in scripture, it's not about the broken people in the story. Ruth and and Boaz, they were faithful and they were obedient, but they were human. They were flawed and they were sinful. They were just a small foreshadowing of the beautiful redemption that would be offered to us thousands of years later through their lineage, through Christ. Jesus would come through that family line. He would offer us redemption by dying on a cross and rising from the dead. And ultimately, just like Boaz invited Ruth to dip her bread in the wine and celebrate in communion there, we get to do that in light of Christ. Tonight, we get to celebrate that you and I are daughters and sons of Jesus, that we are redeemed, and that we can close our eyes tonight and know that because of this story, the small bed of faithfulness of Ruth, because of the redemption that God ushered in through that faithfulness, through her obedience, through just saying yes to God, that you and I get to spend eternity in heaven when we believe and accept him into our hearts. So tonight, we're going to enter into a time of communion, and we get to really enter into a time of rejoicing. Um, This is a time for us to to look and say, thank you, Jesus, for this redemption. Thank you for this story, not just for Ruth, but because of what it means for you and for me. Um, I'm going to pray for us tonight, and I want you just to be able to have a second to really prepare your heart, um, to think about what this invitation means to come to the table and to celebrate with Jesus. Um, So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our kinsman redeemer. Um, Lord, we thank you for this story, this beautiful example of redemption that um, in four short chapters literally changed our lives. God, we thank you that Ruth and Boaz were faithful. We thank you that they obeyed and that essentially um, redemption was offered not only to their family, but to everyone that would believe in Christ because Christ would come from their line. Lord, we pray tonight as we come and, and get to enjoy and partake of your blood and your, and your body, Lord. We ask that you would um, just convict us of, of things that maybe we should repent of, that you would show us if we're in the wilderness, that you would open our eyes to sin in our hearts, that we could um, repent and run back to you, Lord. We pray tonight that our hearts would be encouraged by this truth, that we would know that at the end of the day, um, nothing we do can separate us from your love, but through your blood and through your body, um, we get to have eternal marriage and relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross, and thank you for grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.